Before we get started, I just got to say, I don't know, the rain did not dampen your heart to worship this morning. Did you notice that too? So does it need to rain every single Sunday? Because there was something really sweet, especially in that moment where the instruments kind of took the back seat and just let your voices be the instrument of the day. I really believe that you believe that hope's name is what? Jesus. And that faith is our desired response to him for everything that he's saying to us. So it is a joy to be able to, to be here today. I, I want to do a special call out too, because, um, you know, Amy and I, um, and Corbin, we came from Chattanooga, lived there a couple of years, um, about six years. And there is a baseball team from grace from Chattanooga here this morning. So would you welcome them? They're down here. They're they look absolutely thrilled that I just called them out. They, they look beyond thrilled. No, but it's, it's great to see, and I even know some of them and their parents, and it's so, so good to be able to see y'all. Um, listen, um, just kind of recapping some things. Since January, we as a church, have, we're continuing to go through the Gospel of Mark, which is continuing to place itself as a top-tier book for me that used to not even be on the list growing more and more in love with this gospel of Mark. And as we go through it verse by verse, we have already traveled just in these last couple of weeks. We've traveled through the triumphal entry. We traveled through, remember Jesus turning over those tables. That was a great moment in the temple. And then these back-to-back confrontations that are happening with the religious authority. And before we go to the next verse, as we do, before we do that though, I want to just take a minute and pause and I want to establish for us a critical truth for us as we go forward. And the reason why is because we are getting closer and closer to the cross of Christ. And so this needs to be planted very firmly in our hearts and our minds as we continue traveling to the cross of Christ. And that is this. Here's your belief statement for the morning. It is this. God accomplishes his plans and promises perfectly Exactly and without compromise. Would you say that with me? God accomplishes his plans and promises perfectly, exactly, and without compromise. And the reason I'm, we're having this moment is because the closer we get to the cross, the more violent it's going to become. The closer we get to the cross, the more angry flesh is going to become. The closer we get to the cross, it may feel like things are out of control. But I want you to know and be confident that God is in control. Man thinks he is, but it is God who is in control. God does not need a plan B, C, or D. He has never met in a war room to assess risk factors or figure out his next plan of attack. Sin's entry is going to get better. Sin's entry and its created chaos in this world does not hurry God, although we would love for him to be in a hurry. It does not hurry him. It does not make him second guess his will concerning who, what, when, where, why, or how. This is true of Jesus' last days. And it is true of our day today. But the question is, it is true, but the question is, do you believe 
that it's true. And before you say amen, I want you to think about your week. How have you responded in your heart and even in your words of things that's happened in your week? That will tell us all, do we really believe that he's in control? But I want to give you something tangible this morning. So I want us to look at the triumphal entry very quickly, maybe not so quickly. And let me give you an example of just how perfectly God's word is fulfilled and his will is accomplished in the timing, in the timing of the triumphal entry. So I'm going to ask you, do you know what day and month the triumphal entry occurred? Good. Let me tell you. It was the 10th day of the first month. Say that with me. 10th day of the first month. And so inside of that time frame, I want to take you back 1,500 years before the triumphal entry happened. We are now in Egypt. Welcome to Egypt. Where the Israelites have been held captive for 430 years. And God has appointed Moses to bring Israel out from their captivity. God displayed his power through this series of plagues. But as he did that, he also, God hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let his people go. That sounds weird, doesn't it? But there was a reason. Because the 10th plague was coming. And so... Listen to God's instruction to Israel as they prepared for the 10th plague. Exodus chapter 12. Tell all the congregation of Israel that, say it with me, on the 10th day of this first month, every man shall take a lamb according to their forefathers, their father's houses, a lamb for a household. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. And you shall keep it until what day? The 14th day of this first month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses. And that same night, on the 14th day of the first month, the Lord would pass over every home And every home that he saw the lamb's blood that was placed on the doorpost, what would he do? He would pass over and the firstborn, that was the plague, the firstborn would live. But if they were disobedient and did not put that blood on the doorpost, as he passed over, what happened? The firstborn would die. And the Lord declared, this is your Passover. It was the first Passover. And then he commanded them, and I want you to celebrate that every single year for all of your generations. And that included the generation of Jesus. So please tell me you already see where this has gone. God's redemptive plan is so perfect. It is even fulfilling itself on the exact day, some 1,500 years later. On the 10th day of the first month, God presented Jesus as his lamb in the triumphal entry for the salvation of the world. And the world did not recognize him. From day 10 to day 14 of the first month, Jesus is kept for inspection 
by the highest levels of religious and governmental authorities. And no fault could be found in him, for he was the perfect, spotless lamb. And on the 14th day of the first month, Jesus was crucified as our Passover lamb so that his blood could be placed on the doorpost of our hearts, of those who would place their faith in him. I show you this not to go down a rabbit hole, although I have tendencies to enjoy doing that, or even to share with you a fun fact of this day. I share the 10th day of the first month and the 14th day of the first month so you can see that things are not out of God's control. But very much in his control, even to the last detail. Therefore, as Jesus moves closer and closer to this violent death, let's guard our hearts from thinking man is winning the day or that evil has won the victory. But instead, that we would believe that God's plans aren't being accomplished with anything less than perfection and exactness and with zero compromise. And our text today is right in the hands of that because without knowing it, the religious leaders are fulfilling God's plan. They are keeping him. They are inspecting him. For you, could bring, you couldn't just bring any lamb to the sacrifice for Passover. It had to be inspected and proven to be spotless and pure. And so these questions, these dialogues, these confrontation is fulfilling that necessary thing for Jesus so that he, when on that cross, is the perfect Passover lamb. So this morning, let's go to the next passage that we have. And that's Mark chapter 12, verse 28 and following. And see how Jesus responds to this fourth inspection in this series. Mark 12, 28 says this. And one of the scribes came up and heard them. That would be the Sadducees. That's what we studied last week. Disputing with one another and seeing that Jesus answered them well, he asked Jesus, which commandment? is the most important of all. So Jesus' time in the temple on this day, most likely Tuesday of Holy Week, has been nonstop confrontation, nonstop challenges, and nonstop debate. But this fourth challenge comes in a different kind of way. It comes from a single scribe, and it appears that he is coming from a place of sincerity. His question is important because his question, as I study it and I believe, his question is not saying, okay, give us the number uno command of all commands. What he's really saying is, from which command do all of the other commands rise from? What is the foremost of those 613 identified commands that the rabbis had identified in the Mosaic Law? 
And this question is coming from a scribe who made his pride to know every letter of the law. The scribes were a group whose job it was to know the law, transcribe the law, and write commentary on the law. The law was their job. And even with this respectful attitude, this professional scholar was absolutely blind to the fact that standing before him was the living word of God. So I want you to think about it. He is asking this question about the scripture to the son of God, who being God was the author of everything the scribe had studied. But the scribe didn't know him. And as I wrote that earlier in the week, I became so convicted. I felt the sense of conviction because I do the same thing. I can come to Jesus with zeal and sincerity and sacrifice and at the very same time so quickly forget who he is. I forget that he is the shepherd and I am the sheep. I forget that he is the potter and I am his clay. I forget that he is the master and I am the servant. I forget that he is the teacher and I am his student. But listen to Jesus' answer. Verse 29. Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. As you note on the the screen, Jesus is using, he's not creating an answer. He's using an answer that was already present in the Old Testament. He uses a passage from Deuteronomy 6 and a passage from Leviticus 19 and melds them together for the completeness of the answer. The book of Deuteronomy was written by Moses and it's filled with what he spoke to the children of Israel, the generation that would be going in to the promised land and is filled with his words and his instructions and exhortations because Moses would not be going. And their parents that were 40 years earlier at Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments and that incredible moment of moving out of Egypt, they would not be going either. And why? Because of unbelief. So it would be their children. So he is giving, the book of Deuteronomy is a fascinating book because it's him giving a group of sons and daughters instructions of things and reminders of things that they weren't a part of. And just so I can get it out of my system, guess what day Israel crossed the Jordan into the promised land? Let's say it together. On the 10th day of the first month. All right. 
I'm not making that up. It's like, it's like real. That's how incredible God is. So, okay, now, there's no more 10th days of first months, I promise, all right? There are, but we're not going to talk about them, all right? So let's look at these commands. And as much as I would love to dig into Deuteronomy and I'd love to give, dig into that context, I don't want to miss the moment for us in this room to hear the commands of God for our lives today. So I want us to focus on these, these verbs that are present in his response. And that first command that he says is this word, hear. But before we, he's then going into loving, but before we can talk about love the Lord God with all your heart, we need to first talk about hearing. We need to have a serious conversation about hearing. Otherwise, we are loving someone we don't know. Listen, he has given us everything to know him. He's not playing hide and seek with us. He has given us his word, which is his testimony. He has given us his son, not to live outside of us, but to live in us. He has given us his Holy Spirit to be the teacher of all things to us. For us not to know him is not his fault. It is that we are not willing to listen. The Hebrew word for here is this word called Shema. The word Shema has a much deeper and broader meaning than the simple act of just perceiving sound. Shema holds within it its meaning, the ideas of giving full attention, taking heed, and responding with action to what was heard. That word Shema To hear and obey is the same. You can't separate them. It's like two sides of the same coin. And that word Shema might sound familiar to you because Deuteronomy 6, 4 is a very special verse that's very special to the Jewish people. And they pray that verse every single day of their lives, every morning and very... In the evening. In fact, before they die, it would be their greatest desire to say the Shema one more time. That it would be the last thing that comes from their lips. That Shema that they pray is coming from the first word of this verse. Here. Shema. Jesus would have quoted the Shema not in Aramaic or Greek, but he would have quoted that verse in Hebrew. In fact, as I was just thinking about it, all these confrontations, where are they happening? You can answer. Where are they happening? In the, yeah, Jerusalem. Let's pull it down a little bit more. All right. In Jerusalem, in the temple. With who? The religious leaders. I would suspect as they are talking about scripture, that he is, this is going to be a conversation that's happening in Hebrew. So as he is speaking those verses, I know that he said that in Hebrew. 
And that word here is not just in the Old Testament. Jesus says that over and over again. Sometimes he says it at parables. We have it in the book of Revelation with the, the seven churches. He says a phrase similar to this. He who has ears, let him what? Hear. So why is hearing so important? Romans ten seventeen says this. So faith comes from what? Hearing. And hearing by the word of Christ. And then in chapter 14 it says this. Whatever is not from faith is sin. So when we have a hearing problem, it actually means that we have a sin problem. Let me say it again. When we have a hearing problem, it means that we have a sin problem. This was the core problem of Israel coming up through all of the ages, but that it was not just a problem that they owned. We identify. Hearing is so hard, our flesh will never agree to it, ever. But here's the truth. When we turn our ears away from the Lord, And his truth, it means that we're turning our ears toward a lie. And when our ears, wherever our ears are directed, wherever our ears are directed is where our obedience will follow. So the question is, will we obey the truth or will we we obey a lie? Because we are hearing something. We're hearing something. And so specifically, what is Jesus referring to in this verse that Israel was to hear? And it responds this. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. This statement is really just made of four Hebrew words without a verb present inside of it. And it's filled with such incredible theology of that there is no other God like our God. And so with those four words and just spending time just just sitting before them and meditating on them and just praying, I think the Lord wants us to hear an expanded version in this room today. Maybe the Lord would say to us today, hear me, take heed to what I say. I am the Lord, your God. You are my sons and daughter. Put away every idol. I am the one and only God. I am the one who has brought you out of captivity, out of my great love for you. I have rescued you out of darkness into light. There is no other God besides me. And when our ears can hear that, when our ears can hear that, and when our response to what we hear is not rebellion, but faith. When we respond in faith, guess what then happens? Our heart is now primed and opened to be able to do the commands that God is about to give. We want to love before we hear. In fact, we want to love so God will hear us and what we want. Right? Let's be honest. We have to put them in the right order because the hearing prepares our heart to love in the manner of which is holy unto him. 
So the, the, this next command that we see and the first of the commands that Jesus gives is to love God. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. God is so good. He has not left us to live out of a misunderstood love. We love him not with our version of a distorted love, but with the pure and perfect love he has shown to us. 1 John 4, 19 says this, we love in the simplest ways. We love why and how? Because he first loved us. You take away his love for us, we do not know how to love. But we love because he first loved us. And not only that, he never, he's so good. He never commands us to do things. He does not command us to go to Cambodia. He does not command us to surrender our lives to full-time mission without providing every means of equipping within us. 1 John 4, 9. Listen to this verse. By this, the love of God was manifested. What's that next word? Say it again. In. Don't miss the little words. The little words are the best words. It is manifested in us. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world. So that we might live. Little word. What is it? Through, How do we live? We live through him. Where was his love manifested? In us. So his manifested love in us lives itself out through us. And God is love. God just doesn't do love. God is love. He is the source of love. And that love is a word that we have on the street all the time. It's the word agape. That agape love is not an emotional-based love that comes and goes like the wind. But that love is a fully determined and committed and filled with joy kind of a love that he has for us. And we are to love agape with that same love. And we're to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Inside of that agape love in our lives, this is what that means. There are no idols in our heart. It means that there are no fears in our thoughts. It means that there are no hidden places in our lives. It means that we don't have a half-heartedness in our obedience. But God's grace... But God's grace, because I do those things all the time. And it's not check boxes where I get a report card from him. Aren't you thankful? It's not a report card that he gives me on how I'm doing loving him. He teaches me. He refines me. As I repent of something that is unloving to him, he calls me back. To his own. It is also a determined, not unmotivated. It is a love that is committed, not wavering. 
And it is a love that is filled with joy. Is your obedience to him filled with joy? Or is it waiting for joy? Now, I understand obedience is hard. I had kids. I was a kid. I still don't like obeying as a man. So I'm not saying that we walk around with this happy face all day long. I'm not saying that. But joy isn't a happy face all day long. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. So the fruit of the Spirit inside of me, and love is as well, bears itself forth. And refines this heart that would be pleasing unto him. Jesus continues and he he says the second commandment is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's interesting that the scribe asked for one commandment and Jesus gives him how many? Yeah, three. But two inside of this, this context. Two. And why? Because the second is the overflow and the outflow of the first. In fact, if love is authentic, if agape is authentic in our lives, they are inseparable. They're not checkboxes. They're inseparable with one another. Our love for God will result in the outflow for a love of others. God loves people. God loves you. The person you have the hardest time loving, guess what? God loves them. And it will be his love that is in us that will grow a love, even for the hardest people to love. And before I move off that, you're someone else's hardest person to love. All right, we just need to be honest about that, right? First John 4.11 says this, Beloved, listen to this, Beloved, that's you, Beloved, if God so loved you, you also ought to love one another. But I tell you, I've always struggled with a phrase inside that command. I've always kind of struggled with that, love your neighbor as yourself. Because I, you know, my mantra, not I, but Christ, not I, but Christ. That means I'm trying not to love me, but love Christ, not love me, but love Christ. So if that's how this is interpreted, that means my love for others are decreasing, not increasing, if it matches my love for myself. But I don't think that's what this is saying, at least today I don't. I think it means more about me loving my neighbor because they really aren't any different than me. We were both created in God's image. We were both in a really big need for Jesus. Without him, we're simple sinners. We both struggle with the flesh And are tempted with sin. We both need his mercy and grace. And as I experience his mercy and grace, I'm able to see others in a manner 
so that mercy and grace would be my choice upon them as well. And the more I am aware of who Jesus is, what Jesus has done in me, what Jesus is doing, and what his promises are to do in me, my heart is moved with compassion for my neighbors, not being inconvenienced by them. And I say that with a huge degree of conviction right now. 1 John 4.20 does a very weighty thing inside of this command. It says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot, I'm going to add this word, possibly love God, whom he has not seen. We've got a few more verses to do, but before we do that, I want to ask three questions in this moment. The first question is this. Who does your heart listen to and follow? If it's Jesus, then treasure his word all the more and obey his voice quicker than yesterday. If it's not Jesus... Will you allow his voice to speak to your heart right now? Remember, he is the one who said, he who has ears, let him hear. Do you have ears today to hear him? Second question. Who is your first love? First love. If it's Jesus, abide. Just abide. If it's not Jesus, are you willing today to lay down the idols of your heart and turn to him? Third question. With those around you, Neighbors is a very broad term. It doesn't mean they share your lawn. Your neighbors are simply whoever you're sitting around right now, there's your neighbors. When you're at Publix, parking lot, fighting for that spot, that's your neighbor. Would those around you say that you love them? Ask the Lord to allow your heart to see people like he sees them and to have his compassion for them. Let's close with these verses. Verse 32. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far 
from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Listen, that scribe is standing in front of the king of the kingdom. And he didn't see him. That scribe is asking questions to the living word of God, but he can't hear him. This scribe reminds me of another person in the Bible, another man. He's known as the rich young ruler who also seemed so close, so close, but could not hear, could not see that the Son of God was standing in front of him. Both of these men, the scribe and the rich young ruler, would have quoted the Shema every single day. But the words would give them no life. Could it be, I love this kind of thinking, could it be that the rich young ruler who was oh so close to repenting and following Jesus, maybe he was one of those 3,000 in Acts 2 that said yes to Jesus? Could it be that this very scribe who is so close to the kingdom Could it be that he was one of the many religious leaders in Acts 5 that came to faith in Jesus? Listen, Jesus' pursuit of our life is not held in Polaroid snapshots. Let's not frame and limit Jesus' love loving pursuit of these people's lives to one moment that we are only aware of. Just like he pursued you, he pursued them. I want to introduce to you a dear friend of mine. His name's Jerry Rubin. I want Jerry just to come on up. Um, Praise team, you can come up too. Band, you can come up. Listen, Jerry, I want to ask this. How many do not know Jerry? Raise your hand. All right. You're about to know Jerry. All right. And I will just tell you that Jerry is unforgettable once you know Jerry. All right. He has a zeal for life. But Jerry, as, as this passage was unfolding in my heart, I could not stop thinking about Jerry. You see, Jerry is um, a Jewish man. (laughs) He is a Jewish man. He grew up in a home where the Shema was every morning and every evening. He did that all the way through his bar mitzvah. And after his bar mitzvah, um, Jerry's a thinker. Jerry loves asking questions. Lots of questions. And he loves debating. And he moved more into a mindset of philosophy in, in his studies. And he was really drawn to that, not simply because he has that bent, but there were just questions of his heart 
that quoting the Shema and its other things could not bring about a satisfaction in his heart. So along the way, Jerry meets Gail. Yeah, she's over there. She's still there. (laughs) Jerry meets Gail. Gail's a believer. And I believe it's for 40 years. Gail prays for Jerry. I'm sure knowing Gail, I'm sure at the beginning, she said lots of words about Jesus to you. And I would think that probably made you really mad. Frustrated. Yes, I can see it. So Gail started praying. At age 60, Jerry heard the voice of Jesus. At age 60, his life was reborn and all those philosophy things he sought to understand that would fill a gap in his heart faded away because Jesus answered all of what his heart was longing for. In just a minute, I'm going to ask Jerry to do something, but before I do that, for those that are in this room that came to know the Lord later in life, Do not let the enemy whisper of how much time you wasted. Because you have someone who accepted Jesus at age 60 and his testimony is resonating in our hearts today. The Lord is so good. He's so good. So I'm going to ask Jerry as we end right now and, and then the worship team is going to play after Jerry does what I ask him to do and and our pastors and our, our prayer team will be down front. We would love to pray with you at the end. But I want us to end with Jerry saying and praying the Shema in Hebrew. He doesn't do it out of roteness like the scribe and probably the rich young ruler did. But instead, he does it from a heart that loves his Lord all of its heart, soul, strength, might. I am so, (laughs) I'm so grateful and I'm so humbled to be here. From where I was and where I am, uh, meeting Carrie and all of you, I've never found so much love and support as I have in this church from my background. And I really mean that. Say that very humbly. I love you all. This is Old Testament. This was the high priests who were arrogant. If you wanted to pray to God, you couldn't do it directly. You had to go through an intercessory, a high priest. And they would sing, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad And as Kerry said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. But we all know something here. We know our precious Messiah. We know what Jesus did at the cross. He bore all our sins for us. He died on the cross only to be resurrected. And the power of that. And so he lives. 
So let's now say the Shema with the new covenant and the new blood that we have within us, as Carrie said, with Jesus' blood pressing within us. Shema Yisroel, Yeshua Eloheinu, Yeshua Echad. Hear, O Israel, Jesus our God. Jesus is one. Amen.